The Voice for LGBTQ plus youth and music only on sin. This is Loud and Queer. Queer. Welcome to Loud and Queer, the voice of queer youth and music on Sid. My name is Elizabeth, my pronouns are she, her, I am bisexual, and I'm coming to you on Boonarong land, and I would like to acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. And hey, my name's Bailey, or Laura, and my pronouns are they, them. I'm queer, and bisexual, and non-binary, and I'm coming to you from Wampa Wampa and Parepa Parepa land, and I'd like to acknowledge... Um, that sovereignty was never ceded on this land and we'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners uh, of the land on which we're recording and the land on which Sin broadcasts from, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, uh, nations, sorry, and um, yeah, just uh, recognise that they never ceded sovereignty and we are on um, Aboriginal land. And we always will be. Um, if you want to check out our, um, if you want to check us out after the show, you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at SinLoud, that's at S-Y-N Loud, or Loud and Queer on Facebook. You can also check out our podcast, you can also check out this podcast and any of our previous podcasts on any of our major podcast streaming services like Obi, Spotify, Stitcher, or Apple Music. Um, if you want to tune into the show live and hear all our great queer music, uh, you can go to 90.7 FM in Melbourne or head to sin.org.au to live stream the show at 3pm every Sunday. Uh, coming up on the show, we're going to be doing our regular news whip. Um, then we're going to be having getting into a bit of a conversation about uh, the recent news that came out about Eddie, Red, Eddie Redmayne uh, admitting he regrets the role he uh, portrayed in the Danish Girl movie that came out in, like, 2015. Um, and, of course, then we got another exciting interview uh, with um, Perth indie pop artist Philip LaRosa. And then, of course, our Froth or Not. Yeah, um, so stay tuned for all of that. Um, we're going to dive into the fraught world of cancel culture in that free-range topic, so look forward to that. Welcome back to Loud and Queer on C. And now we're just going to jump into our news whip for the week. A lot happened while you were gone. <laughs> so much happened. So we took a break of a couple of weeks. So this is a big news week and I haven't even fit everything in. We're going to cover a bit next week too that happened in the last seven days. So stay, like strap yourselves in. <laughs> I've, uh, I've changed things up a little bit as well. So content warnings are just ahead of the story that there is a content warning for. So rather than having to skip the whole news whip, you can just skip a couple of minutes um, and knowing that that section might be triggering. Okay, so in gay news this week, beloved queer Melbourne bookstore Hares and Hyenas is making a move out of its iconic Johnson Street location. The bookstore will move to the Victorian Pride Centre for an opening day of Sunday, 5 December. In their latest e-newsletter, the Hares and Hyenas owners said, but we have not deserted Fitzroy entirely. As the bookshop comes back to life in St Kilda, Hare Hall, Melbourne will keep this, the doors open at 63 Johnson Street, Fitzroy, continuing the venue and community aspects of our past 15 years here with a sizable and varied retail side to it, including lots of books and merchandise. A new queer... A new independent queer theatre company opened in Tasmania two weeks ago, offering a safe, offering a safe space for LGBTQIA plus artists. 
The theatre is an LGBTQIA plus company with, which highlights stories of queer writers and actors. The ABC says the theatre closet isn't afraid of camp, kitsch or seriously confronting theatre work so long, as it's, so long as it's playful, ambitious, accessible and human. For their debut this week at the Moona Arts Centre, you could also ca- add Emotionally Fearless. The first show to debut on its stage is Crave. The Guardian Australia reports when when photographer Fiona Clark started out 50 years ago, her work was met with rejection. Now she's the subject of an admiring documentary. Whether documenting the crackling raw energy of Auckland's fledgling, fledgling punk rock scene in the 1970s or the hedonistic glamour of Kurangape Road's queer culture, renowned New Zealand photographer Fiona Clark's vibrant photos evocatively capture people and personalities in subcultures many people wouldn't even know existed. Seen as too confronting and radical by the New Zealand art world in the 1970s, Clark's work was met with resistance from major art dealers who told her, we're not handling your work. And some of her images mysteriously disappeared from the Auckland Art Gallery. But Clark has never let this distract her from her singular vision. Tamaki Makura, Auckland filmmaker Lula Kukiara, was fascinated by Clark's exquisitely produced photo book, Living with AIDS, which documents the devastating and quiet journey of four of her friends and wondered, why is Fiona not famous for her images? Why is it that not many people know about her photos? She decided to make a documentary examining Clark's remarkable life and work, and the result, Fiona Clark, Unafraid, screens as part of this year's Wanao Marama New Zealand International Film Festival. The star of the report, Megan Bacon Evans and her wife Whitley from Windsor, England, have filed a landmark legal case against Frimley and NHS fertility sector, claiming that they discriminate against same-sex couples. The LGBTQI social media content creators known as Wegan have around 140,000 followers on YouTube, TikTok and Twitter. The couple have started a petition for equal treatment of LGBTQI families after claiming they were financially penalised because of their sexuality. According to the couple, cisgender heterosexual couples are only required to try to conceive for two years before approaching the NHS. However, Frimley demands that same-sex female couples pay for 12 intrauterine inseminations before being eligible for help from the NHS. This can easily cost up to 54900 Australian dollars. This amounts to what the couple call a gay tax when it comes to the NHS fertility treatments. And from them news, after a new HIV vaccine showed promising results in initial clinical trials, researchers plan to partner with Moderna, a manufacturer of one COVID-19 vaccine, to continue developing the innovative treatment. The experimental vaccine, developed by the International AIDS Vaccine Initiative and Scripps Research, displayed a 97% response rate among participants in an early-stage Phase 1 trial, according to ABC News. Its novel approach involves stimulating the production of rare immune cells that are needed to start the body's antibody-generating process, a crucial step in combating the fast-moving virus. This comes at a similar time to the UK's approval of the first injectable HIV treatment, a bimonthly vaccine, rather than patients needing to take a daily pill. America's ABC News says the UK's National Institute for Health and Care Excellence estimated that around 13,000 people will now be eligible for the injectable medication. There were around 103,000 people living with HIV in the UK in 2018, according to the British government statistics.
Um, just a quick content warning for this next story, guys. Um, it does feature violence against trans women. From the Star Observer, Victorian Animal Justice Party MP Andy Medic's eldest daughter, Keelan, who came out as trans last year, was attacked on Thursday night on Smith Street in Melbourne. The attack is believed to be linked to her father's support for the state's pandemic response bill. Medic had early... Medic had earlier revealed about receiving death threats after he and other crossbench MPs negotiated with the government for supporting the bill that currently that is currently before the Legislative Council. Medic requested that his family's privacy and dignity be respected at this time and said he would not be providing further comment while police are investigating the, inc- the incident. And in other news, the federal government unveiled its religious discrimination bill in Parliament on Thursday. While Conservatives have argued it simply protects the beliefs of religious people, in some cases particularly Christians, human rights groups have claimed it legalises discrimination against trans and queer people. We'll have more on this in a future episode of Loud and Queer. Anyway, if any of those stories distressed or concerned our listeners, please contact Lifeline at 131114, QLife at 1800184527, or Kids Helpline at 1800551800. That was our newswit. You're listening to Loud and Queer with Bailey and Liz. we're going to be jumping into our free range topic yeah so i want to talk about cancel culture and um like queer and trans representation in cinema and i know this is such a fraught place to start a conversation (laughs) I want to begin with saying I want it to be really constructive. So um, a couple of things have come up in the last couple of weeks. I'll just give a little bit of background and then we can dive into our own thoughts. Um, So one was that, and this is from Them News, um, Eddie Redmayne said that he regrets like taking on the lead role um, that led to his second Oscar nomination. And that was um, playing Lily Elb in The Danish Girl. Uh, Lily Elb is one of the first sort of publicly known trans people from the 20th century, um, believed to be one of the first individuals to ever have undergone gender affirmation surgery. And um, the movie is pretty highly acclaimed and um, I haven't actually seen it. I wanted to watch it this week, but I didn't get around to it before the show. So maybe I'll do a little bit of a review uh, later on. But it kind of was, like, good because he said, you know, like, he recognised in an interview recently that the role was controversial for him to take on because he was a cisgender man. Um, A lot of people argued a trans woman should be given the role or at least a trans person. Um, And I think a lot of people said it, it showed a reductive portrayal of trans womanhood. Um, which I can't really comment on, but he said, no, I wouldn't take it on now. I made that film with the best intentions, but I think it was a mistake. 
And then another thing that came up was a Sydney Morning Herald article a couple of weeks ago interviewing Hugh Sheridan. He's a Pack to the Rafters actor, uh, came out as loving men and women, not officially labelled bisexual, but came out as loving men and women um, the night before he was announced as the lead actor in Hedwig, um, a movie about a trans person. Um, and he was really excited for that role. He talks about it in the Sydney Morning Herald article um, because he felt challenged by it. He got to play a queer role for the first time. Um, he got to sort of try on a lot of different personas because the character was so complicated and this was also a historical fiction piece. Um and so, yeah, he said, you know, it was the role of a lifetime um, and a social media campaign killed the show and left him suicidal. Um, and the journalist um, says a prime example of cancel culture gone mad or the incidental cost of rebalancing biased power structures. And then kind of goes on to talk about cancel culture, um, the people who run these campaigns to get cis people or um, people usually in the majority out of of acting roles or directorial roles uh, where they are not a part of the group that is being represented. Um, but I think my main point here is it did a really bad job of um, exploring the statistics. Like trans people will be told, oh, we can't cast you in a cis role um try for trans roles but there are so few trans roles and then often the excuse of directors is that they've cast a cis person because they need that person to be able to um look like you know a pre like Mm. transition trans person and then also a post-transition trans person but it's like I've seen movies, um, Carlotta, for instance, where a cis woman plays a trans woman. Uh, So they dress her up quite unconvincingly as a pre-transition person Mm. to look like a man. And then there are other roles where um, men have played trans women, such as in uh, The Danish Girl. So it's clear that you don't actually have to be a specific gender to play a trans role convincingly. Like cis people aren't inherently more like set up for it anatomically or whatever they're trying to say. Mm. (laughs) Um, But I just wanted to mention that and then maybe move into like the cancel culture and representation side of things. So like Liz, what does this kind of make you think when you hear all of this stuff? Yeah, cancel culture is such a buzzword. Um, mm. I actually did a whole thing about it for, like, one of my finals, my bachelor's, actually. Um, oh, right. Yeah, like, it wasn't a long thing. It was only, like, a thousand words. But, like, the, the issue with cancel culture is, like, the idea behind it has always been, like, like, th- there's a reason why cancel culture has got the other words to it, like, dogpiling and witch hunt. Like, mm. there is, like, a whole thing of, like, part of it can be a case of, wanting to like call people that have done the wrong thing to like own up to their mistakes like Mm -hmm. it is nice to see with like uh eddie redmayne like him coming out saying like yeah no i did it with the best intentions but 
it was a mistake and if I could go back I would not do it like mm. and you can see that there has been growth there and he, like he's made that mistake now and he's admitted to it and it's highly likely that he will not make that mistake again and mm. that is that should be like the end result of it of that like the idea of like calling someone out for the mistakes they've made or the problematic actions they have done whether like however long ago it was or whatever um the end result should always be for the person to come forward and say look I've made a mistake I won't do it again and then you know stick to that that's the important part but it doesn't help anyone when you start completely and utterly dogpiling on someone like it because well because it doesn't matter like how horrible anyone is and everything like and trust me there are plenty of horrible people in the world we all know that but like you should never be to the point of like sending death threats to someone or threatening violence or horrible things Mm. to someone because of something that they've done like Mm. don't like don't get me wrong there could be people that might have deserved that or whatever but at the same time like for the act of like coming out and then like or taking on the role of a trans person and everything which don't get me wrong it should be someone that is trans that that takes on the role like as we just said before like that double standard is still there and it should be you know rectified and everything it makes no sense to come after the actor and completely like threaten him and make him feel suicidal like that is just that is too far in so many ways well i I would point out with this one is that a handful of um trans people signed a letter to him and said we think that this role should be given to a trans person um and that it's transphobic to um take on a role when you're a cisgender actor um when so few roles are given to trans people so it's it's not exactly about yeah it's it's more that he felt like he suffered because he he I think took the criticism really hard Hugh Sheridan did Mm. and I think that um the criticism was fair but maybe it should have been directed more at you know producers and casting managers and um people in those higher places not necessarily someone who um has all the best intentions like Eddie Redmayne did and you know I do want Mm. actors cis actors to think about what they're doing or straight actors to think about what they're doing when they take on a queer role um it really bothered me a few years ago when Kate Blanchett said that she would fight to the death or something like that for Mm. to uh continue playing queer roles as a straight person and she's Mm. played a few queer roles and you know the lesbian community freaking love her (laughs) and they love carol they love her in carol and that's all well and good and i like kate blanchett's acting and i think she plays a lesbian very convincingly for whatever reason that might be (laughs) but but i don't like i i think until queer and trans actors are not pigeonholed into those roles and they're not even given them um that cishet actors should stay out of those roles as much as possible same with disabled uh roles in movies and and series and um obviously i think we've come to a point when at least uh white actors are not taking on roles of people of color 
Um, however, representation still can be improved by a long way. Mm. Um, but at least I think they sort of learned their lesson not to do that because it's highly offensive. Um, but I guess moving on from you as a um, person with a strong media background to a queer person, mm. um, when I, th- I don't know if you've seen this uh, argument, but a lot of the time when this comes up, um the people who are you know crying cancel culture they say oh so these people who are acting you don't want them to be acting you know like they kind of claim that like oh well you're acting of course you're not playing something that you know like how to be or who you have the experience of how do you feel when you hear that see when I hear that, I just think back to all the times when, you know, you hear about all these actors and actresses and everything that they really want to get into the role. Like they might like never break character off set. Like what I think there was like, I remember reading for um, like the suicide, like the, the, the first suicide squad that, uh, God, what's her name? Uh, the girl that plays the enchantress in it and everything like i can't remember her name from the life of me right now um uh, she claimed apparently that like she spent like a night out in the woods to try and get into character like <laughs> <laughs> so when i say the whole thing of like getting it like there is a difference where it's like if like playing a character with a certain mindset and everything and you want to keep that mindset for the character that's mm. different compared to if it's someone that has an actual like it's an actual experience that people are dealing with like a disability or race or gender or sexuality like mm-hmm. you can't get into character for that because mm-hmm. getting into character is very much being like what are the ways that I see these people be portrayed as I'm going to portray it like that which just feeds into more stereotypes and everything mm-hmm. so I just like I think it is a bit of a gray area when it comes to things like sexuality just because like sex anyone can be any sexuality and for the most part with most shows and everything like sexuality just never gets confirmed anyways because it's just never like it's normally just assumed it's heterosexual but Mm. like sexuality is a bit different in that regard compared to things when it comes to gender to gender and race and they're things like that that you need you need the actual experience behind that in order to properly portray it or even like if it's that mm. even if that isn't the focus and everything like if the character like it's the same with like with like if it was whitewashing and everything like if there is a character that is like me- portrayed and meant to be a black person don't white person can't be a white person can't take on that role and be like I'm going to portray them so accurately because they don't have the experience behind that they don't know what that's like and so for you, I guess, it, it, like, the marginalisation is kind of impossible for someone to understand. If, oh, you can play whatever you want because you're acting, but then if anyone from a marginalised background who is not sort of seen as a default, if they try and do that, it's yeah, it's sort I, of derided, I think. Yeah, I mean, like, because it's... Like obviously, like it seem it can feel a bit like a double standard, but that's just that's just how it is because you can't like there it is a, it is a double standard, and that has kind of has to remain that way because you can't just keep taking on you can't take on roles that 
you, you shouldn't be taking on roles that like you can't portray and you shouldn't be portraying if you're not part of that like marginalized group and everything like for one it gives more accessibility and more representation into the field and everything because i would love to see more like uh like i want to see more trans actors i want to see more like uh people with like different disabilities yeah it's like marginalized people can understand like mainstream roles and play those because they they're everywhere they're you know we're inundated with them like we can't escape that narrative so we understand it extremely well like we understand the you know underdog white cishet man or boy role so well because that's like the majority (laughs) of what we're exposed to um but I yeah I would say like if I were to if you're to flip that, you know, like the yeah, you're you're mainly exposed to stereotypes if you're in the mainstream and you're looking at, um, you know, other representation of queer people or people of color, Black Indigenous people or disabled people. You're not really understanding them. You're just getting this um, snippet that's usually funneled through the lens of another white director or mm. white producer or white screenwriter um so yeah I think until there is a bit more of a power balance um in that world yeah. I don't I I'm not really for um giving Kate Blanchett another <laughs> queer role I'm not really for giving Hugh Sheridan a trans role he'll there's more um, opportunity for trans actors. Um, I don't really see a point in saying, oh, they're just acting, so it doesn't matter, you know. Let's move on, though. I reckon we've covered it all. So you're listening to Loud and Queer with Liz and Bailey, and you uh, just heard us talk about cancel culture and uh, trans and queer Welcome back to Loud and Queer on Sin. Um, we're ju- going to be now jumping into an interview that I did um, a bit ago with uh, Philip LaRosa, um, who has recently released their latest single, Black Sky, which examines living with the loss of a loved one, whether it be a breakup or death. And it, it builds light into the burdensome dark, imbuing the vast emotional breadth of the song with a heartening degree of acceptance in the face of the unknown. Welcome Perth indie pop singer and songwriter Philip LaRosa. How are you, Philip? How are you? I'm all right, thanks. Thank you so much for coming on for an interview. It's been, it's so good to talk to you about everything that's coming up for you. No, thank you for having me. Yep, awesome. Um, I guess just jumping into it really quick and everything, like, I said, obviously you did say you're a bit like hesitant to say it and that's completely fine, but like, how would you say you describe your music to people that are just, you know, unfamiliar with you, you and your style? I mean, yeah, pop indie covers it, like you said. Um, <laughs> I guess since 2016, since I started recording and releasing music, um, my sound and style has evolved and continues to evolve over time, I guess. 
and I, I feel like I'm still trying to find my ground and find my feet. So at the moment, I'm just recording and and sort of releasing what I love and what means what means something to me. Um, and yeah, I'm just going to keep going down that path until something just sits right and I and I find my groove. Yeah, awesome. That's a really sweet way of looking at it and everything. Um, recently, obviously, which is like something that obviously has been really big for you, is the recently that you've released your newest single, Black Sky. You said in your press release that it's dedicated to your parents. I was just hoping if you could elaborate a bit more on that, sort of the inspiration behind the song. That song is dedicated to a sort of a subject that we don't we don't talk about it a lot, or, or we never used to really talk about it much when we were when we were kids. We didn't really find out until we were eighteen. Um, but yeah, that's. Uh, it's basically dedicated to the sister that I never met. Um, my parents had a stillborn uh, at like seven months into mum's pregnancy. Um, and that obviously was a heavy weight on my parents' shoulders that it's, you know, something difficult for them to talk about. And in recent years, they've been able to talk about it more. And, you know, we, we talk about it more as a family now that I've got nephews and nieces and there's grandkids running around. Um, so, yeah, it was, I don't know, there was there's conversations that I had with mum and just, you know, the emotion that I pulled from those conversations to sort of process. I always write. I'm always at my piano writing when I'm processing something. And yeah, that's that song just came together and it just slowly evolved over time. And um, yeah, even some of the, the words in the bridge was like things that mum had said and had stuck with me. Um, just like she, she randomly said one day that, that there was stuff going on and it was like a bit of a rough patch. But we always get through our rough patches and mum said that that's that's your sister looking over us like every time we come to the other side of that rough patch that's her guiding us and her you know looking looking after us um and yeah that's sort of whether i drew inspiration for the the song and yeah it was something for my mum so that when i released black sky it was um it was on her anniversary so it was really special to share that with my parents that's a, that's really sweet and like i hope that your family has been all right like working through that and everything and yeah, song seems like a nice way to help honor her memory and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's um, it's been obviously a, a few years have passed now since that's happened. So, yeah, it's just nice to be able to openly talk about things. And I think even sort of releasing that song and and giving that song to my parents, it's even opened up a bigger conversation where we can talk about it even more, which is which is nice. Yeah, that is really nice. Um, you did mention it before and everything that you're always writing. I was just hoping if. Would you mind sort of explaining a bit more about how it is with your like songwriting process? Because you've released many songs over your, your career. so <laughs> Yeah, um, it ranges. Sometimes I'm just feeling super creative and I'll sit at the piano and I'll just start. Um, I'll start with chords, just basic chords, and then I see what happens. Otherwise, inspiration strikes at the craziest times and I whip my phone out and I'll record lyrics straight into my phone and then get back here and write it. Um, and then it's, yeah, it's usually just a, a long winded and collaborative process. I usually write, um, my verses and my choruses, like a, something really rough. And then I really like collaborating with other artists and producers. So part of the creative process for me and the exciting part is seeing what other ideas people bring to the table. So once I get to the studio and I'm with this, the producer, we obviously massage the song a bit more and yeah, it turns into something beautiful. So that's, that's the process for me. It's sort of smashing chords on my end, making sure the song stays true to me and then bringing it to the studio and yeah, bringing it to life. Super exciting. But yeah, the starting point is always me and a piano or me and my, my phone. <laughs> that's really cool. Like I think that's the case for a lot of artists where it's just kind of like wait for the moment to hit you and then just kind of yeah. ride with it. Yeah, exactly. If I try too hard and I sit at the piano, there's usually a creative wall that I hit. So it's just, 
when it comes it it comes and then i i run to my piano pretty quickly (laughs) (laughs) yeah and when i'm obviously not writing music i'm a website and graphic designer so that creative wall it's it's in my work life it's in my music life it's just it's yeah it's fun I can imagine. Um, you did just say there and everything, like you love collaborating and and with like all sorts of different people. Like, would there be any other like other artists that you know that you'd love to collaborate with sometime? Yeah, there's a few local Perth artists I'd love to. Um, recently for my next single that's hopefully going to come out early next year. Um, yeah, two local artists jump on board. They, they were just doing the backing vocals, but even just doing that was so fun. Um, but yeah, collaborating with another artist and either featuring on someone's track, I'd, yeah, I'd love that. It's always fun. Oh, that's awesome. That's really exciting. Um, I guess just jump, jump, jumping back to Black Sky for a second there and everything. Um, you also did release the music video for that song and it looks yep. incredible. Like obviously so much hard work was put into it. Um, but I just wanted to ask a bit sort of fun behind the scenes. Like what film, what was filming that like? Um, that was crazy. That was probably the like uh, the least amount of crew we've had on a music video yet. Um, so <laughs> it was literally me and the director and the director held the camera and then he had a camera assistant. And when he was building the, um, like, you know, the, the start scene where it's me and, and then it's the little boy and the dad and they're in that shed, that whole shed is completely, like, built from the ground up. That's, like, all pallet, pallet wood and, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was, like, two days of the director and his mates building the building the shed and then just me and him and the camera. So it was really intimate. There wasn't a massive crew. There wasn't, like, a hair and makeup team or lighting. It was just, yeah, it was, like, the two of us three at max. So yeah, it was super fun. It was it was so different to the other music videos, and yeah, that's one I'll cherish forever. That that experience. I guess like sort of moving on from there, like obviously, like as we just said before, you've released so many like other great songs. Like you had your recent your single from last year, um, Baggage, which saw the music video for that as well. Like that was amazing. <laughs> Um, thank you but, but yeah I just kind of just wanted to ask like with some of that obviously inspiration changes for different one but what do you think like just in the music that you make in general what would you think your biggest inspiration is just my my day my day-to-day life I guess it's just um yeah I've, I've been in a relationship for nine years now and we're engaged so oh, congratulations a lot of my songs are thanks <laughs> so a lot of my songs are really lovey-dovey and sometimes corny like the next song I'm releasing is super corny and we've We've made it even more corny on purpose <laughs> because of how, yeah, how lovey-dovey it is. Um, yeah, so I don't have, I don't know, without like boasting, our relationship is pretty perfect. Like we don't have big arguments and there's no dramas and issues. So I don't have any heartbreak songs to write or anything like that. So it's always like happy stuff or um, like Baggage was about um, me and my mate when we first met, just like letting our walls down the first time we had met. And I'm pretty sure I cried. Um <laughs> just spilling my past and him spilling his past. And so just, just moments like that, that I cherish and I remember is what I write about normally. It's, oh, yeah. no, that's, that's really If sweet. it doesn't mean something to me, I don't write about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome to hear and everything. Um, I guess I just wanted to ask is also out of curiosity. Um, what got you started down the path of like writing music? Like sort of what sort of got you into that industry? Um, so I started singing at the age of 10. Um, I was literally just around the house watching rage and video hits back in the day. And mum had heard me singing. So like by the time she would wake up, I would already know the songs and be singing the songs on video hits because rage was on first. So she was like, how do you know these songs already? And I'm like, I don't don't know. I just remember them. She's like, maybe we should put you in singing lessons. 
so she did um and i loved it and that sort of snowballed into dancing lessons and musical theater and acting and everything else and then at the age of like 16 i quit everything like i got bullied at high school and even dropped out of high school yeah the bullying was not a fun part of my life um yeah so i had stopped everything and like wasn't even interested in music didn't touch it did like the only place I, i sang was in the shower like that was it like it was that whole side of my life was um was gone to me and then you know a few unhappy years and you know not realizing why I was unhappy until a friend was like maybe you should start singing again so went to a vocal coach started singing again and realized how much like that was part of me and part of my life um and then yeah I was 18 or 19 at the time when I started again got my first piano and just sat down and covering songs ended up turning into writing my own stuff and yeah fast forward like six seven years here I am (laughs) still writing (laughs) No, that's that's amazing to hear. Like, obviously, like it's a it's a sad reality that school and bullying can really like, quote unquote, like beat a lot of that out of someone. Yeah. So it's really nice to see that you were able to find that love of of music and theater again and really get back into it. So, without sounding too corny again, <laughs> everything happens for a reason, right? <laughs> yes, indeed, indeed. I would have to agree with you there. <laughs> um. I guess like sort of wanted to ask a bit about of curiosity and totally fine if you want to be vague with it, but yep. obviously like you did release one album strong back in 2016 with a, like wide variety of great songs from there. Yep. Um, and recently you've mainly been releasing singles. Yep. Would there be in the future a possibility of you making like your own album, another album, or is that sort of like a go like sort of come as it goes sort of thing? I think that sort of ties back into the first question of like defining my style. I feel like every song that I release is very unique at the moment and it I feel like as an album and on a whole they wouldn't gel. So for me I feel like I would have to sit away for two weeks and write an album and make that whole sort of I don't know make that an experience for myself mm. to create an album whereas at the moment I write something when I want to write it and I release it because I want to release it. So it's just, I don't know. I feel like there'd be a lot of pressure with an album. It'll happen, but I don't know when. (laughs) Slightly branching off from that, but you did mention it before, like uh, if you want to share any more details with that, but you have another single that'll be coming out uh, at some point next year. Was that? Yeah. um, About a week after my partner proposed, he um, he proposed by by the river and it was like after one of our road trips up the state. So, I was like in this on this on cloud nine and in this very inspirational um, mood. So sat at the piano and literally wrote a song about our drive up the coast and then him proposing. So it's it is a very corny song, but it's yeah, it's it's for him. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what sort of hopes would you hope? What what sort of things would you hope to achieve with your career so far? Because you've got. A, You've got a bright future ahead of you. <laughs> if you asked me that when I was 10, it would have been, I want to see my name in lights. Um, but now, it's, <laughs> I don't know, every every time I get a message where someone's either related to my song or it's helped them through something, um, I don't know, that's that's rewarding enough for me. Through that, like, Are there any other like LGBTQ plus or Australian Perth artists you'd like to shout out? Australian Perth artists? Oh, there's so many, I couldn't do that. Um, <laughs> but if we want to go LGBTQ plus artists... Um, I don't know if he is because he hasn't come out or defined or labeled himself, I should say. Um, but it's Love, Love, L-A-U-V. Oh, yeah, I don't yeah. know how to say his name, but his album, How I'm Feeling, that like 
go listen to that listen to that whole album i guess just like <laughs> fine to reach out just to everyone else that is listening on the show um where can they find you what what are, what are your socials where they can where can they find you uh, i use instagram the most i've got facebook but don't even bother with that um instagram is phil la rosa that's awesome and we'll be sure like everyone everyone is listening definitely go check out check out his instagram check out his spotify and stream his music it's all fantastic and definitely go listen to black sky it's an amazing song and hearing the inspiration and everything behind it has been such a great experience to have so again thank you so much for coming on today thank you so much for having me it's been a pleasure back to loud and queer on sin you just listened to black sky by philip rosa who we just did uh who we just had a great interview with so if you didn't hear that i highly recommend going back and having a listen to that um but yep now we're going to be jumping into our froth or not nice um my froth is really weird (laughs) it's animal infrastructure so I've seen a couple of hilarious things today. One was like a wombat door. So it like, it's this like log swinging door. Um, Like it swings uh, vertically. And basically like wombats and echidnas can like push it out of the way to like get in and out of a certain area. Um, but like other things that are pests can't, like it's too heavy for them. So they can't actually push it and like get into conservation areas as easily. And then there was another really hilarious one. It's also about conservation. So there's this thing called a fish cannon. Have you heard of that? I think I have. And I know, I think I'm picturing what I'm picturing (laughs) and I love it so much. They're like these really long tubes. Yes, um, yes. For anyone who doesn't know, where like conservationists, they'll like get into a part of like a lagoon or a river or whatever. Yeah, usually rivers where like fish have gotten stuck and they'll like put them in the cannon and something in the way that the cannon works like forces them through and they're like wiggling and wiggling like they're in water and then they like pop out the other end. And it's so funny and I just want to recommend that if people uh, haven't <laughs> haven't seen a fish cannon in action that you should look it up. Uh, yeah, I've actually had a pretty good week. Um, like, I never got to tell, tell you about it. Um, but my sister, like, one of my sisters, Whoa. she recently just finished all her VC exams. So she's, yeah, so she's going to be going into uni next year and everything. So I'm very happy for her. But she um when we were talking about like schoolies um mm. like she didn't really want to go on schoolies so one of like the big spots and everything don't even know if you're all allowed to right now but instead what happened was is that so for the past week monday to friday um me and the four of us so just like me and my three sisters we were up in sydney just like like up there for the five days just the four of us to have a bit of a holiday up there oh cool Wow, that must have been different. 
if you want to talk to us, sorry, uh, if you want to reach out to us about anything that we talked about on the show, you can reach reach out to us on Instagram and Twitter that at Sinloud, that's at S-Y-N Loud, all loud and clear on Facebook. And you can also check out our podcasts, this podcast or any of our previous podcasts um, on any of your major podcast streaming services like Omi, Spotify, Stitcher and Apple Music. Thanks for listening today, everyone. You're listening to Loud and Queer on Sin.